Welcome to Hearts and Other Sex Parts, a podcast about redefining yourself and your relationships. This is a safer space for the LGBTQ community, people of color, all genders, and gender nonconforming individuals, differently abled people, and all relationship types. These discussions will be strictly body and sex positive. We're your queer hosts. I'm Keely C. Helmick, licensed professional counselor. I'm Jay, a resident queer mo and sex ambassador. We'd like to state that our pronouns are she, her. For every guest we have on the show, they will introduce their pronouns as well, should they choose to. And at the end of every podcast, we will close with a poem that goes with the theme of the show. Well, today we are sitting with Sajani Patel, therapist, licensed professional counselor, and racial equity activist and educator here in Portland, Oregon. Sajani, thank you so much for offering your time and experience and thoughts on today's topic. Thank you for having me. I'm looking forward to it. Yes. So first, uh, will you give a little background about your professional work as a therapist, uh, and then as well as uh, how you got into some of the racial equity activism and education that you do? So I've been a therapist for about 15 years, and now my work is with all types of people, couples, individuals, families, children, babies, and the focus has been on healthy attachments and creating healthy attachments. And you know, when people are feeling safe and secure, that's when they could take risks and do new things in life, ask people on dates, um, Mm -hmm. try new business adventures and so on. And so in my racial equity work, I, you know, I do consulting and facilitating, but I like to focus on strengthening interpersonal conversations about race issues in an environment where people can feel safe enough to talk, Mm -hmm. take risks, make mistakes, and learn because this is a hard topic relationships in the first place is already hard to talk about race issues is a hard conversation to talk about and how i got into this it's been just so naturally for me um throughout my counseling career i've had all these opportunities to do um trainings um be a leader in agencies to do diversity trainings and so on but it all started when i was a kid and I remember having a time of having teachers and schoolmates write letters for Amnesty International in sixth grade, and it was based after a, converse, after a conversation I had with my dad about karma and dharma, um, things you should do in life and your duties in life, uh-huh. and also my oldest sister going to Berkeley and just having all this information, and I didn't realize I was a activist back then. I thought it was a mild child, cool. but it's been just very hand-in-hand in my life. So when we asked you to be a guest on our show, we asked what you want to talk about, and you jokingly said, how to date brown people. But seriously, a conversation on race and relationships. Me, as your friend, I've heard a lot of your personal experiences and the work that you do here in Portland, but do you want to share with our listeners why you chose this topic? Yes, being a brown person in this town, I've come across some bizarre situations um, in my dating life, professional life, community life. The topic of having a healthy community and be able to have differences and still get along and feel safe often comes up. Um, And I feel like race and relationship issues um, at a personal level between two people, coworkers, in politics, at schools are so essential. In prepping for this podcast, Sajani, we were talking for a while then about uh, microaggressions that can occur within interracial relationships. Uh, What are microaggressions and what are some examples in relationships that you've seen come up? 
So microaggressions are brief, daily, verbal, behavioral, environmental treatments, intentionally or not, that are derogatory towards people of color. And so examples, when people say things like, you don't dress ghetto, or say something like how your boss is such a jerk, which may be true, but then say something like, you know how those people are. Other examples are, you should be good at math, you're Asian, or you're pretty in an exotic way. And so in relationships, it can come up from friends, family members of your partners. It often comes up in sex, Mm. which is bizarre, but sex in itself is very intimate and there are power dynamics that play out. And sometimes that come up in interracial relationships between a white person and someone of color is exotifying that POC partner saying things like speak Spanish to me or point or pointing out how their bodies may look different because oftentimes we just see certain types of bodies out in media. And so Mm -hmm. things like that do come up and oftentimes white partners don't realize that even though they're doing something really intimate with their partners, that their power dynamic still exists in their relationship. Right. And that piece about power you just said, it made me think about the intimacy and the vulnerability and how within that vulnerability, when someone says something that that's hurtful, how a person who's white can check in with their own vulnerability and, and an example of like, you know, how they can take care of themselves and then look at their partner and be in a place to be able to apologize or own what they did. Mm-hmm. And those mistakes are so embarrassing, embarrassing. And, you know, the intent is not necessarily a negative thing on their end. It's just maybe having that being the first experience ever. But what counts is being able to, like you said, own that and figure out how not to say it again. Right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, you know, as a fellow counselor, what are a couple of the most common issues that you see arise between your interracial coupled clients? I think... And what I could talk to is about um, interracial couples um, consisting of a white partner and a POC partner. Uh Um, What does come up is not having the structure to talk about race. That is a big one because couples have to have those ability to be able to problem solve and talk Mm -hmm. about hard things. And so, for example, if someone says something racist in in front of your POC partner... Do, does the person who's, who's white, do they address that mm-hmm. racist statement? Mm-hmm. Do they look to their partner each time? Um, and so I think what comes up often is just not having the structure or um, kind of like the rules around what do we do this or what do we do with this as a couple. Mm-hmm. Um, another thing that comes up is that these white partners sometimes feel offended if they're not the go-to person for any or all racial problems that happen or the, what the POC partner experiences. You mean like so throughout the day, like if something happens and the partner, the POC partner has something happen, they're not always, their white partner isn't their first person they talk about or talk it, about the experience to. Exactly. And it doesn't mean that the, the white partner is doing anything wrong. It's just 
they may not understand. And it's good for POCs to have their community and people to talk to about such things. Um, and so that comes up often of, of people being offended of, you know, why aren't you communicating with me? Why aren't you telling me oh. everything? Mm-hmm. Um, which just puts a lot of pressure already on POCs. Um, the other thing which often comes up is having to deal with family and what's, what behaviors are appropriate or not. <sighs> and, and so within, for a lot of POCs, family is not this, this American whitewashed um, example what family is. You know, with, with family comes nationality, culture, religion. And so sometimes your partner who's POC, if you go to their house, they may not be as affectionate. They might not hold your hand. They might not sit next to you. They may eat before you eat or after you eat. Um, you know, it's all, it's all about the standards and norms that are within that family. Most likely, the POC partner will, will explain and talk about, this is my family, this is my culture. Um, but POCs cannot be, they're not always the full expert of their culture in the sense of having a dictionary and a, and a bullet point of, you know, things to say, things not to say. So can we take a step back in the, the first item that you mentioned about the structure to, to address if racism is pointed at the POC partner? What do you mean by structure or not having the structure between that couple? I think in every couple, there is, you do develop a way of presenting in the world together as a couple. And in an interracial couple, they are going to experience different things compared to a white couple. And so it's important to have those conversations when you see them happening, because for sure, microaggressions are going to pop up mm-hmm. and um, the white partner is going to notice different things. And to have a conversation with their partner of, wow, that really messed up thing happened. How do we address that next time? What do you yeah. want me to do? Do Keeping you want to defend yourself? Right. Keeping that open dialogue. Mm-hmm. And, and that kind of plays into... Um, I was wondering, you know, the additional hardships among interracial couples that are within the LGBTQ community, uh, what can be some additional hardships that come up? I think within that, the LGBTQ community, having interracial couple involved in that, going back to family, certain groups of people talk about being queer and being gay in a certain way. They don't talk about it at all. Sometimes it's just assumptions or it's not a topic you talk about. And so I think what often happens is having a person, uh, the white partner being so offended that the POC partner is not talking about race topics with the parent at the dinner table or is not out and loud in mm-hmm. the way that they may be individually or in their own couple structure. So that comes up often. Um, The other thing is also our LGBTQ community is racist at times. And so, you know, like we always talk about the intersectionality um, within that community and how uh, it's not done well or there needs to be more focus on that. Yeah. 
So I think it's also important to take a step back and maybe explain to white people why we are privileged and the racial inequities are government and institutions that inherently make us privileged. So one of the things about white privilege that I've been coming up across is noticing when I talk to other white people about their privilege in general, there's this defensiveness raised. Like, well, I worked really hard for what I have. So I, I, I'm not, you know, I'm not more privileged and trying to explain to people in, in words that say, it's not about that you didn't work hard. It's that you are in a place that your hard work got you much farther. And so if you're working just as hard as a fellow person of color, that you already had a step ahead of them. And in this country, I understand those comments coming up because especially with our economic times, like we are seeing more and more how our administration is actually white supremacist. Mm -hmm. And so there's an increase of people being defensive and also saying comments like, well, I'm poor. What am I getting out of this? You know? And so it's, it's one thing to keep in mind. The reason we have these talks about race is because there's huge racial disparities in our country, historically, structural, currently. And there are still, there are huge disparities when it comes to things like education, employment, income, and so on. Yeah. I mean, it saturates the preference for whiteness really saturates our society in many different areas. It's and people get offended. I think, I don't want to use the word offended. I think people feel uneasy. And uncomfortable. Uncomfortable. Yes. Yeah. And as if they're being accused for being lazy or for not earning what they earned and not working hard or being greedy. And so I think, you know, those uneasy feelings come up, which, you know, it could be white guilt. Right. And, and I think understanding the difference, too, and the different, the different types of privilege, uh, you know, there's being poor, that's talking about class privilege. That's not talking about race privilege and the different types of privilege. And we were talking, you know, I'm prepping for this podcast, exactly that of, you know, the white people's initial defense to justify, well, I wasn't raised with money and you were, I, you know, there's, there's all different types of privilege and, and race privilege is just one of them and accepting the fact, the reality that you, we, as white people, we have a lot of privilege in ever in a lot of the things that we do simply because of our skin. Well, yeah. And like listening to both of you talk and then thinking about, you know, this idea again of opening up uncomfortable topics, but also like, what can you do? Well, the work starts with that sense of ownership and being like, wow, I, I have this, what can I do about it? And self-reflection and, and taking accountability. And there's so many things that take this work that people don't, don't want to have to work on that. And wow, relationships take work mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's an extra amount of work that people don't always think about or, or, or want to accept. Mm-hmm. And also the other thing is, you know, let's talk about white fragility. That yeah. is somebody who can't handle any race conversations. It becomes too emotional for them and it makes them uncomfortable. And, you know, out of that comes white tears. And, mm-hmm. you know, those, those dynamics come up as well. Yeah, when you say, I've heard that term, when, where does the term white, white tears come from? 
I don't, know? I don't remember it's where it comes from. Yeah. Do you know, Jay? Mm-mm. Yeah. We'll Google it. Later. But it is like this extra sensitivity, like, oh, I can't handle it. or <laughs> which, which takes away the attention from fighting the fight. Is and it like a form, I feel like it's a form of gaslighting. And it's not intentional, I feel like, but then I feel yeah, like, like it's you just like said, suburban white woman that's like crying in her cake or something. I don't know like, where it comes from. That anyway. Tina Fey thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Tina Fey and her cake. Definitely. And I think it's, you know, going back to white fragility, it's, you know, and I hate when people use the word trigger wrong, but it's a stressor and, um, you know, people become defensive. And so I think when we talk about race interpersonally or at work or you know, with friends or the person you're dating is to be able to just be human and make mistakes. Yeah, and through yeah. those mistakes, you're going to learn what to do next. Um, we, we all are going to make mistakes. I've done this training, equity training or, or social justice training or whatever you want to call it for about 11 years now. And I've been called out on stuff that I said. And, um, and so I'm still growing and learning and I'm this, I am a POC woman, an expert in talking about racial equity, a therapist, and I continue to make mistakes, but the part of it is to continue and learn and keep, yeah, keep trying, keep trying to talk about it. Keep having these discussions. Uh, well, and such, you know, speaking specifically to couples, I'm, I'm thinking about just a general couples thing that we talk about as counselors of like talking about this topic, not bringing it up when you're already talking about something emotionally charged. Like it's, it's an emotionally charged topic, but not doing it in the middle of a fight. Like, remember that one time when you said that thing, like really like, like bringing it up in a place, being aware to talk about it, not, not mixing it in with other things. Does that make sense? It totally makes sense. And you know, you may have an argument with your POC partner, um, they mention maybe how hurt they felt that yeah. you didn't stand up for them um, or that you didn't let them speak for themselves, whatever it is, but to not make it about yourself and to make it about what the issue is. Well, listen. Mm-hmm. I mean, like the communication skill of actually listening to that person. Yeah, one thing that does come up, I mean, a lot of us are dealing with toxic stress for the first time, and that toxic stress is the politics that we're experiencing. And so people are struggling, all types of people. And I think there are times when white partners need to recognize if my partner of color is having a hard time right now, if they're triggered or stressed right now, I may not be able to talk about my own fears and struggles it may not be appropriate because, you know, we got to make that space for the POC partners. And so this reminds me of with, with the Black Lives Matter campaign, how there are, there are other racial, ethnic groups and racial groups creating groups so that they can meet and not necessarily have a moment of like, oh, no, we're having it hard, too, but just kind of regrouping and having that space to like refocus and continue to fight that fight. And hopefully there are are white groups out there that have that ability also of having the space of, of, you know, without the white tears, but just being able to regroup and continue to do the fight that they to fight the fight. And I think when you said that, it made me think of 
like I think about me as a white person, that is my responsibility to talk to other white people and be helping teach other white people. And that I shouldn't always, it's not fair for me to look at to all my friends who are people of color to be like, you should be educating. No, it's like my job. I need to be taking care of myself. I need to be educating myself and learning and growing and, and helping other people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And to go back to that topic of, of what not to discuss with your POC yes. partner, I think, um, you know, if you are a, a white partner who has been dating people of color from a certain group, do you have to ask yourself, Am I fetish, fetish? That's a hard word. Fetishizing. Can we stop it? Sorry, I'll redo that. I love that word. <laughs> Fetishizing. Or and I'm going to say exotic. It can be a good thing. It can be a good thing. But it can also be a bad thing. Not in this way, though. Uh, yeah. Fetish Fetishizing a certain culture or certain race mm-hmm. and primarily dating people of that culture or race. Mm-hmm. Just to have that mindful opportunity of, of, of just seeing if, if that's what that person is doing. Staying um, aware. Mm-hmm. And then the other thing is, you know, you do get close to somebody, you get close to a, a community of color because you're dating someone who's POC to really not make jokes. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, because you yeah. may see other POCs making jokes about themselves, but it's not okay to ever make those jokes. If you're in, you're in, but it doesn't mean you can make those jokes. Uh-huh. Right. That's a very good point to make as well. Yeah. I think the other thing also is, um, as a POC, who, who's an activist, we have moments when we're exhausted, we're tired, our capacity's off, and we're always having to think about our capacity. We're always having to struggle with microaggressions and biases and things like that and stereotypes. And so oftentimes, or not oftentimes, but it happens, um, white partners forget that and might get a little offended that their, their sweetie is not going to a protest with them or might be upset that they're not participating in a letter writing campaign. Um, it's okay to give your POC partner space and time to rejuvenate and heal. And, and, you know, it doesn't mean that they're not being active. Right. So again, it's really up to us as the white person in an interracial relationship or white people in general to educate ourselves. Definitely. And I joke, and sometimes I don't know if I'm joking or if it's kind of real of, you know, if you're dating a POC goddess or God, like treat them well. Buy mm-hmm. them gifts, give them massages because <laughs> there's struggles every day yeah. and Especially... white people can turn it off. Their struggle, even if they're liberal, even though they're passionate about the cause, it is not every day feeling, feeling the struggle is so different. So interracial relationships, uh, which we haven't touched on a lot in this discussion, but they can include two people of, of color of multiple races and ethnicities. What are some some things that you've seen and any additional challenges with that? I think the the challenges are, could be the same in a white and POC relationship. What often comes up is sometimes making it a competition or feeling like it's a competition when they have to talk about their struggles, who's suffering more, who's not suffering. And this also comes up with LGBTQ 
relationships too. Totally. And so part of that I think is people really needing to own their identities and feel really secure with them themselves to be able to point out or talk about, we are not having really good conversations. We're just, we're just cycling. We're just circling. It doesn't matter who's struggling worse. Right. Um, I mean, the struggle is struggle. Um, but you know, with that also comes other cultural struggles. Um, there are some POC groups where it's okay to date outside your race. It's more accepted. And there's some where, where it, it, it's not. And so, exactly. um, you know, people have to deal with that. Um, the issue of skin tone comes up. You could be a light skinned person of color, or you could be biracial and have people not take you seriously for your ethnicity or you no know, question where your loyalty is or be so hurtful. Mm-hmm, or, you know, if, you're black enough or white enough or Asian enough, you know, those, those things come up as well. In addition to being a therapist, you're also a racial equity educator. Uh, what does that mean? What topics do you address in your teachings? So I talk about a lot of different types of topics. My trainings are often with groups of people coming from different backgrounds and, and experiences. And so sometimes they're very, you know, racial equity 101, um, the, the trainings that I do are not graduate level courses on racism or feminism. Um, and so sometimes it's just as basic as talking about what's your identity? What's your culture? What's your relationship with racism? What's the difference between equity and equality? What are the different types of culture and how culture, there's intersections within that, like professional life, personal life, family life, dating life, mm-hmm. um, and kind of breaking it down just so that people have that opportunity to have a discussion. Because oftentimes we don't do this. We don't do this with our friends. We don't do this at work or anywhere else. Um, and then we talk about the hard stuff, the really, the really uncomfortable stuff, like microaggressions and biases and stereotypes and history of racism in the United States and institutionalized racism over and covert racism and white response patterns. And okay. if we can white fragility and white tears, and it's, yeah. it's, it's hard conversations, but, um, you know, oftentimes I do a little of everything, but it's just dependent on where people are coming from. Are there any upcoming projects or training sessions you're holding? Currently, I am opening my private practice. I'm oh, working on congrats. that, and that's going to be around Yay. February. Um, the, the equity work is coming in slowly and surely, which I'm excited about. I love to do the trainings and consulting. Yeah. Um, and, you know, that's what I'm looking forward to. Awesome. Sajani, thank you so much for joining thank us today you. to talk about this topic that is so important. And this is just barely touching on this topic. This is something we need to have more discussions we and we will continuing to have discussions on this and just bringing it to the table to start talking. Yeah, this was great intro. Um, so yeah, with that, we'll go into our closing poem today. We, uh, t- going with today's theme, we picked a poem by Maya Angelou. Maya was an American poet memorized and civil rights activist. She published seven autobiographies, three books of essays, several books on poetry, uh, and was accredited with a list of plays, movies, and television shows spanning over 50 years. It's one of my favorite poets. 
the the poem that that we picked to go with today's theme is called Touched by an Angel. So with that, Keely, sounds corny, but it's amazing. <laughs> Keely, will you read Touched by an Angel? We, unaccustomed to courage, exiles from delight, live coiled in shells of loneliness until love leaves its high holy temple and comes into our sight to liberate us into life. Love arrives, and in its train come ecstasies, old memories of pleasure, ancient histories of pain. Yet if we are bold, love strikes away the chains of fear from our souls. We are weaned from our timidity in the flush of love's light. We dare to be brave, and suddenly we see that love costs all we are and will ever be. Yet it is only love which sets us free. Thank you, Keely. And that's a wrap for today, folks. Remember to subscribe to our podcast, Hearts and Other Sex Parts, on iTunes and SoundCloud. We are also on Instagram and Facebook as Hearts and Other Sex Parts. Feel free to write us with feedback or questions by direct messaging our Instagram or Facebook pages or emailing us at heartsandothersexparts at gmail.com. Also, if you want to support our podcast expenses and educational resources, go to gofundme.com and find our Hearts and Other Sex Parts donation page, which is also linked in our Facebook bio. Thank you for listening. Your hosts encourage you to stay open and remember, self-love is the best love.